You're listening to This Foul Earth. The interview subjects for the project were given free reign to speak, telling stories from their lives that they thought ought to be recorded for posterity. However, before concluding the interview, the hundreds of subjects were all asked the same question. What are your hopes, fears or ideas for the future of Wales? Here are a selection of the responses. Future of Wales. I think we need, we need to make sure our kids actually want to make a life here. You know, there has to be something for them. You know, I remember my mate, um, my mate Gwyn coming around my house after the football. We went to see Paul Talbot on the ground, and he said, "You've got to see this video." Right? It would have been 1981, I think, maybe 80. And he was always getting, you know, he, he was always getting uh, like dicky videos. You know, if you fancy a bit of rude and whatever, you go and speak to Gwyn. They tell you. Well, he says it's from Japan. He says you've got to see it. Well, he sticks it in, and I don't know what I expected, but it was like nothing I'd ever seen. It was this program about this 30-foot-tall robot flying around, and I, I didn't follow the story because it was subtitled, and I struggled with that sort of thing, but it was the most fantastic thing I'd ever seen. I started hyperventilating. I'd never seen anything so exciting. I was gasping. And I said, what is this, Gwyn? And he says, it's a Gundam. And I says, is it real? And he says, well, no, that's just a cartoon. Like, But imagine it now. Only a matter of time before these things are real, you know, and they won't be, you know, autonomous in reality. You, know, you think about the beginning of the century, you know, there was one car to every hundred horses in the early part of the century, and now you see a horse on the road and you go mad, don't you? You go, what fucking idiot brought his horse onto the M4? And he says, this is where it's going. You know, you give it 20 years, we'll all have one of these things. We'll all have our own personal Gundams. So I waited, you know. Me and Gwen, we worked together 30 years on the steelworks, and things got worse and worse. It just felt like we were being squeezed. Squeezed out, passed by, forgotten by the world. But we didn't mind, because we knew that one day, me and him would be flying thousands of feet in the air, and we'd be laughing in those Gundams. We'd be on the radio to each other in in tears. With tears in our eyes from laughing, because Gundams were real. Rockets the size of your house, 6,000 tons apiece. We used to look out the window on part days, and we'd just point at the sky, you know, as if, you know, one day. One day we'll be up there piloting fully articulated anthropomorphic robots in our own image. But they never came. I buried Gwen last year until the death he was convinced they were coming. I was always the realist of the two of us, I think. And I know now, you know, two false steps. I wouldn't be allowed to pilot a gun them now, even if they came tomorrow. But the kids, you know, they grow up and in ten years, maybe less, they see youngsters their age in Japan and Korea. They're flying 30-foot Gundams around, having the time of their lives. Where do you think they're going to make a life for themselves? And then what becomes a Wales? I don't want to gun them for myself anymore, but it's all I've got not to cry when I see my grandkids, because I worry for them. I worry they'll never know that joy, purely because this country doesn't know what it takes. We've had a boot on our necks for hundreds of years, but I just think it's hard to put your boot on the neck of a Gundam, innit? Eh? But you ask the big brains down Cardiff Bay what they're doing about that, and you won't like the answer. I think if you go, uh, if you go a thousand, well, no, I, no, maybe, maybe not a thousand, right? But if you go maybe like a hundred thousand years in the future, completely smooth, everyone now, right? Completely airless, top to toe, shiny and smooth, everyone sculpted like a good god, right? Ten foot tall, every man, woman, and child, right? All posing on top of a pen of van. Every full moon, you know, Mr. Universe, that sort of thing, quad flexes and all that. If you or I were to walk up there, they'd snap our necks. They'd snap our necks, right? They would assume we were just these like disgusting little bug people. Right? They wouldn't recognise us as our ancestors because they would have evolved so far beyond us that we'd just be incomprehensible to them. 
Hey, they pick us up by the head, and they fling us down the mountain. They fling us right down the mountain, and then straight back to flexing. That's my hope anyway. You know, a race of completely smooth, titan-esque supermen. Or a train line between North and South Wales. It's been too long now. I think this country, I think lots of countries, I think there was an innocence lost in the 70s and 80s. Yeah? You look at the culture, back in the day, it was all suggestive, wasn't it? All nods and winks. And everyone understood what was meant by it, but now everything's very in your face. There's no nuance anymore. Right? Just look at the music, you know what I mean? You go back to the 1950s now, you look at a record like Chantilly Lace by the big bopper, God rest him, it encapsulated an innocent time. And not just in America, right? He answered the phone, and his missus is on the other end, right? But you only hear him, and he's saying, you want me to do what? And you what, love? And all that. And you know it's dirty stuff on the other end, but it was nothing explicit, you know? If that record got released today, he'd answer, he'd say, hello baby, and all that. And you'd hear the person on the other end, you know, saying all this blue shit, all this torrid business, you know? Like, um, I want you to smash my back walls in, bopper. I'm going to stick your balls and knob through a hole in a piece of wood. And I'm going to step on them with an 18-inch stiletto. You know, piss play, ball busting, sounding. Nothing left to the imagination like. You'll see a pair go on Britain's Got Talent and do that one of these days. You watch, and they'll be at the variety performance, silly in the name of the big bopper by talking about cuckolding and God knows what else. And the Queen is there, you know? I just think, let's slow down a bit, is it? Take it easy for a few years, it's just too much going on. And it's all the time these days. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not very good at this sort of thing. <laughs> I think, uh, oh, what's my hope? I, I think a, a nice idea. If, if if you're out on the town and you've missed the last bus or, you, or you've you've got the car, but you've had a few, you, you should be allowed to sleep over in the prison. Just for the night. You know, we pay, we pay for those prisons. You know, those are our beds. You know, if if there's nobody in it, I should be allowed. Yeah, you'd have to call ahead, of course. You know, I'm not I'm not talking about you know walk-ups, but they must know by about six o'clock if they're going to have any spare beds. And I and I, ideally you'd have the room to yourself. But if if you had to share, well, that's not the end of the world. You know, you think about all the people, you know, walking free because of you know mistrials or uh, you know crimes that never got solved. You know, you could, be, you could be sitting next to a murderer at work for all you know, you know. At least in there, you'd know, in this scenario, you know. Also, I think you're, you're less likely to get murdered in your sleep in the prison, if anything. Even less so than a hotel, because it, it would be too obvious, wouldn't it? They'd know who'd done it. I don't think it, it, it wouldn't be the most comfortable, you know. Uh, you know, I doubt you'd get a breakfast, but if you're at a loose end, it would do, wouldn't it? I threat for the future of this country, I really do. What we need, desperately, is good paying jobs. And where's these, where's these you know, good paying jobs going to come from? You know, used to be, when I was growing up, you could leave a job on Monday morning, you could be in a new one the same day. It felt like opportunity was up there. You know, if you made the right moves or you go in the right places, you could do something good. You know, you could, you were something you felt was, was right for you. Now, forget it. It's all changed now. I blame Blair for that. He forced all these kids to go to these bloody universities, so now you need a degree to clean the toilets down the bus station. Half these jobs don't require all this, you know, this bloody egg-headed thinking. You know, you just need to be willing to learn. And I think a lot of these youngsters, they've been robbed of that, robbed of the opportunities. You know, unless you want to answer the phone for some bastard who's pranged his motor, excuse my language, or you want to deliver parcels with no benefits. You know, I was union secretary for 30 years, Tregaran Bakery. I was proud to do it, right? But look at these youngsters, and they're lonely. They're lonely. Even if they work in a massive building with hundreds of people, the camaraderie's not there. You know, and it's sad. It's sad is what it is. My grandson, for example, right, he does my shopping a few times a week, and he says, he's, he's a good boy, he is. He says, I got myself a career, granddad. And I said, marvellous, because I, I thought you'd gone to a job with the bricks or something, like I said. He says, no, no. He says, I'm an e-boy now, granddad. I says, what the hell is that? And it's an electronic boy. And all he does is he puts some old clothes on, he takes a picture, and he puts it on his website. 
he showed me it, and one of them, he's wearing a big puffy coat, no shirt, he's got this canary yellow ball cut, right, and underneath it, he's written 100% dumb bitch. And he said, can I take some pictures with one of your ball shirts on, Grandad, because I'm going for vintage this year. Cottagecore is vibes, he said. I said, don't you set foot in this bungalow again. And I said that in anger, and I did apologise. But is this all the youngsters around here have got to aspire to? You know, my mate Harold said his nephew's got an OnlyFans, and he's selling pictures of his knob and his arsehole, and what have you. I'm not against that, mind you. I remember there was a fella called when he used to come around the pubs in the 70s and he'd charge you 5p to see his knob because it was calcified. It was hard like a stone and a stank of salt water, right? And he used to get all of us stick off the boys. He'd be slapping his knob around, kicking him up the arse as he walked home. Landlords tried to run him off, but he would do it in the road outside, right? He was industrious, but I used to think there's no way he's making a living doing this. So if you can pay the mortgage by selling a photo of your bits, then that's fine. But where's the solidarity, you know? That's lonely work, that is. I said to my grandson, maybe you and some of the other e-boys in the area, maybe you can start a cricket team or something. And then you can all take pictures of each other in the jumpers, save time, help each other out. And if any of you are selling pictures of your bits, do it in the shower afterwards. Because you've got the social element with it then as well. But he said, it's not like that, Grandad, it's not like that anymore. And I just think that's an awful shame. It's a shame.